In the last video, we covered speciesism, that is, discrimination against members of a certain species. We saw that anthropocentrism is a type of speciesism that favors the interests of humans over the interests of non-human animals. And we saw defenses of anthropocentrism. Recall that when we say defenses, we mean that the view itself is defended by its supporters, not that it is defended against. So in our last video, we covered the ways that people try to defend anthropocentric discrimination. Some of the arguments against anthropocentrism are general arguments that question all the ways the position can be defended, while others focus on particular arguments for anthropocentrism. We'll start by considering the latter. Begging the question means assuming from the start what we want to prove. It's a form of circular reasoning, where the truth of the premises relies on the truth of the conclusion. Begging the question applies to two types of arguments defending anthropocentrism, one that is definitional and one that is based on criteria that cannot be verified in any way. An example of a definitional claim in support of anthropocentrism is that it is simply intuitive that humans count more than non-human animals, and that this intuition doesn't have to be backed up by further reasoning. But many people don't share that intuition. Moreover, our intuitions shouldn't be trusted when we have arguments pointing in the opposite direction, that is, leading us to think they are unreliable intuitions. The argument from begging the question points out that definitional defenses don't give any actual reasons why we should accept them. Something similar can be said about views based on criteria that can't be verified. Giving reasons that can't be verified or falsified is equivalent to giving no reasons at all. Valid reasons must be open to scrutiny. When, as in this case, we have no basis to believe them, unverifiable claims can be considered mere rationalizations, that is, inventions that we come up with in order to support a view we want to defend. Other arguments in defense of anthropocentrism claim that human interests are worth more because humans have certain special capacities or relationships that can actually be verified. The argument from species overlap shows that such claims fail to draw a dividing line between humans and other animals. In addition, it suggests that such claims must be rejected because they lead to unacceptable conclusions. The key point of the argument from species overlap is that there is no feature that we can verify that all humans have and that no other animal has. Consider, for example, complex cognitive capacities. There are human beings who don't have them such as those who have suffered certain kinds of brain damage. Some human beings are born with congenital conditions preventing them from ever developing complex cognitive abilities. Babies also lack these capacities. The same can be said about related capacities, such as the command of a language or being able to recognize and accept responsibilities towards others. We might think that babies are different because they have the potential to develop those capacities, but this doesn't happen for babies who don't make it to adulthood. And it seems unacceptable to think that these children shouldn't be respected as much as other children. In fact, none of us should be treated according to what we merely have the potential to do. You might have the potential to become the president or the prime minister of your country, but that doesn't mean that you should be treated as if you are actually the president. The same applies in all other cases when someone has the potential to develop a certain capacity but doesn't have it yet. This is why this response to the argument from species overlap doesn't work. The case is similar if we consider not capacities, but relationships. There are many humans who don't have anyone who takes care of them or loves them, 
and many people are powerless, like many orphans and elderly people. The argument from species overlap shows that anthropocentric arguments based on these criteria fail. They can't establish any good reasons why humans and non-human animals should be considered differently. If we accept the claim that such capacities or relationships matter for whether and how someone should be considered and treated, we will have to accept that all those who don't have such capacities and relationships should be disregarded and deserve less consideration. This means that many humans will not be granted full moral consideration because they lack the capacities or relationships that are supposedly essential to full moral consideration. But this is a conclusion most of us will find unacceptable. Instead, we can acknowledge that in order to be granted full moral consideration, one doesn't have to have those special capacities or relationships. This allows us to fully respect all human beings. But then if we accept this, we have to acknowledge that those capacities and relationships are not relevant to giving someone full moral consideration. Otherwise, we would have to accept the conclusion based on the following premises. One, it is justified to deny full moral consideration to those who lack certain intellectual capacities or special relationships with others. Two, not all humans have certain intellectual capacities or special relationships with others. If we accept the two premises of the argument, then the following conclusion, three, must be accepted. It is justified to deny full moral consideration to humans who lack certain intellectual capacities or special relationships with others. The second premise is irrefutable, since it is a fact that there are humans who don't have certain intellectual capacities or special relationships with others. The only way the conclusion can be avoided is to reject premise one, that it's justified to give less consideration to the interests of those without certain capacities or special relationships with us or others. This means that we can't use the argument against respecting non-human animals unless we are going to use it against humans. One final note about the argument from species overlap. It has often been called the argument from marginal cases. The name is inaccurate and also misleading. It suggests that humans who fail to satisfy the criteria are marginal humans, but they are not. They are as human as any other human beings. Being human is not determined by having those features. Individuals with fully human DNA born to human beings who don't have those capacities or relationships are not marginal humans. It makes more sense to refer instead to the overlap among different species regarding how they satisfy certain requirements. This is what the argument from species overlap does by showing that those requirements can't be satisfied by all the members of only a certain species. Those defending anthropocentric positions have argued against this in several different ways. Some have claimed that when some members of a species have certain cognitive capacities, then we should give equal moral consideration to all individuals of the same species. So for example, since there are humans with complex cognitive capacities, we should give the same moral consideration to all humans, whether they have those abilities or not. Others have argued that while humans who lack certain capacities should not be recognized as fully morally considerable, they should nevertheless be respected as if they were, in an honorary way, so to speak. Both of these positions combine two ideas. First, they argue that having certain capacities is what matters, but then they claim that belonging to a certain species, our species, is what matters. We have seen that the latter claim can be rejected by showing that it begs the question, so it cannot be a sound response to the argument from species overlap. We see that the different ways to defend anthropocentrism fail because they either beg the question or because they fail when challenged by the argument from species overlap. 
So combining the two arguments we have seen so far, we have a full refutation of the defenses of anthropocentrism. There are other arguments that challenge all kinds of defenses of anthropocentrism. Each of these is sufficient by itself without needing to be combined with any other claim. One of these arguments, called the argument from impartiality, argues that anthropocentrism is incompatible with fairness. The argument starts with the premise that in order to be fair, we should only accept a position that we would accept if we thought impartially about it. What do we mean by impartial? There's a thought experiment used in philosophy that can help us to see more clearly what we would decide if we were being impartial. In this thought experiment, we think about how we would want individuals to be treated in the society where we will live. But there is one condition. We have to think about how we would respond to this question if we didn't know what our place in the society would be. That is, we could be born rich or poor, with high status or low status, healthy or sick, with cognitive abilities greater or lesser than average. In contemporary philosophy, this uncertainty about what our position would be is known as the veil of ignorance. Behind this veil of ignorance, we would not know the class, gender, skin color, economic status, or anything else about who we would be. This thought experiment is intended to help us come up with a just system for a society. The idea is that if we were thinking only of ourselves and didn't know what position we would be born into, we would want the society to be as fair as possible. This thought experiment also helps us to consider what would be a fair way to treat non-human animals. We can expand the veil of ignorance to include all sentient beings. So, in the hypothetical situation we have just seen, you wouldn't know if you were going to be born as a human being or as an animal of a different species. And the total number of sentient animals may be up to or more than a quintillion. That's 10 to the 18th power. It's a billion billion, and it's more than 160 million times the number of humans. So in this scenario, chances are you would find you are a non-human animal. If we reflected on this, we would not prefer a situation where the odds are that we would be deprived of consideration and potentially harmed as a result. We would not want to be in a society where non-human animals are disregarded. If we might be, probably would be a non-human animal. So if we consider the matter in a truly impartial manner, we would have to reject anthropocentrism. A different thought experiment also helps us to consider the consequences of our decisions in an impartial manner. We consider what decisions we would make if we had to consecutively live the lives of all the different individuals affected by our decisions. Again, thinking about this scenario would lead us to take into account the interests of non-human animals too, whenever the consequences of our actions could potentially harm them. Otherwise, the consequences for us would almost be certainly terrible. This thought experiment is like the previous one in that it shows us that impartiality requires us to oppose discrimination against non-human animals. 